Welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Crabby Christian, a Misfit Media Network production. I am your host and resident crappy Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. All right, guys, welcome to a special episode of Confessions of a Crappy Christian to celebrate that the book by the same title is out in the world. My book, Confessions of a Crappy Christian, came out yesterday when this is airing. I'm recording this six days before the book comes out. And when I was trying to decide what I wanted to do with the podcast to celebrate the book being out, I thought about doing an interview or you know, having somebody interview me and ultimately just decided that I wanted to just sit with my mic and talk to you about the book and the process of the book and my hope for the book. And maybe we, we should have played some kind of drinking game. Like if I, how many times, like take a shot every time I say book, but don't do that because you'd probably die. But anyway, I am recording this, like I said, six days before the book comes out, a week before this episode comes out, because when this comes out, I am on vacation celebrating 10 years of marriage to my wonderful husband and also celebrating that the book is out. (laughs) I am having so many more feelings than I thought I would. I cried like three times yesterday and it's only 10 a.m. So give me time. I'll probably cry today. And it's tears of overwhelm and excitement. And also definitely there's some nerves in there. I mean, I share a lot of my life both here on the podcast and on Instagram, there's just something about it being all bound up and on pages and in all of these people's lives. You know, there's stories in the book that I think I kind of thought I'd take to the grave (laughs) that are now just out there. And that is terrifying, that level of vulnerability, even as someone who tries to show up vulnerably on a regular basis. It's just it's crazy and it's scary. And I don't know if I've just not listened (laughs) when people had books coming out or if people just don't talk about the emotions behind it. But I mean, I'm exhausted and I'm excited and I just feel like I'm on this roller coaster of my own emotions. But I think more than anything, what it is for me is hope. I'm really hopeful about the book and the book being out because you know, I mean, I've been writing it for two years. I I signed my original book deal in October of 2020. And now it's out in October of 2022. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, two years isn't that long, but it's also a really long time to be devoted to one singular project that you're pouring yourself into. And for the last, I guess, three months or so, been on a podcast tour of my own, you know, doing a lot of interviews about the book just for marketing purposes. And a really common question that people ask is, what is your hope for the book? And I ask that question on my podcast of other authors all the time as well. And my hope for the book isn't measurable. You know, I know some people 
their goal is to be a New York Times bestseller or to sell a certain amount of books. And while do I hope that I like clear my advance (laughs) and therefore really fulfill my contract with Tyndale, obviously. But outside of that, my hope for the book isn't something that can be measured. I definitely can get messages and DMs and feedback and I've already gotten so much of that from people having access to the audiobook. But the last sentence of the last chapter of the book says, so go set them free. And that is really the hope is that this book brings freedom to the reader that they can then turn around and extend to other people. Because I know I am where I am today in my life, in my walk with Christ, experiencing the fullness of grace and of freedom because other people turned around and extended it to me and taught me about it and lived it and were an example of it. And in turn, the the human response when you see that like really exemplified is, oh, I want that too. Well, where do I get that? How do I get that? And that's the hope for the book is that people read it and as we tackle some like uncomfortable topics and some things that don't get talked about a ton, but that are happening in so many people's lives, that it being pulled into the light, those things being pulled into the light sets them free and sets them free to the point that they can then turn around and extend it to other people. Like, yes, I want this book and the crappy Christian mentality to be a movement. Like, what a legacy to get to leave behind. And I guess that's my hope and desire is freedom and to have had some small, however significant or insignificant part in directing people towards that. And the way that I did that was just talking about the things that I needed to hear about and often wasn't hearing really like vulnerable conversations about. I think it's not that these conversations aren't happening and it's not that they aren't happening authentically because they are. But sometimes I think as believers, we have this desire to even take our our messiness or our weakness and still like wrap a pretty bow around it just so that it looks just like a little bit more presentable, right? Because I think that a lot of the time the desire behind that isn't negative. It's not even performative. It's, well, I don't want other people to think that I'm a mess because then why would they want Jesus if I have Jesus and I'm still, you know, in process? And I get that. And I've, oh my gosh, I've been there and I've lived that. And it's such a double-edged sword because I think that there is there's something to that. There's something to that, but also there's so much to be said for showing up as you are in process, acknowledging that you're not perfect, acknowledging that you don't know it all, acknowledging that you don't get it all. That is so refreshing and I think inviting. And so throughout the book, I talk about things like being an inherent hustler and wanting to perform myself not only into other people's good graces, into God's good graces. And like this idea that nothing I can do can make God love me more or less and how that, I don't always like that. (laughs) Like sometimes I'm like, wait, but but like look at all this good stuff I did. Doesn't that make you love me just like a little bit more? And the reality is no, it, it doesn't. Like this book, writing this book and it going out into the world and it doing whatever it does, does not make God love me more. And that's a great 
thing because that also means simultaneously that the really stupid stuff that I do and when I'm petty and judgmental and choose things that aren't of him, that also doesn't make him love me less. And that's such good news. And we talk a lot about hurt and healing and that I think a lot of the problems within the church are that we try to stick a Band-Aid on the ways that people are hurt, often by other believers. And I don't know if that's out of a desire to make sure that we're exemplifying grace or if it's because we don't know what to do like with that messiness or because we don't want to be pointing fingers. But I think that it is possible to look at situations and look at ways that people have very clearly been hurt by people and by institutions and say, like, that was wrong, period. Like, there doesn't need to be a comma, but there are things that people do in their brokenness with their baggage that is wrong. And it doesn't have to be qualified. You know, I even there's a chapter in the book on forgiveness, and it's specifically about fake forgiveness and how for a lot of my life, I, I faked it. I faked forgiveness and acted like I was extending an olive branch and that I was over it and that everything was fine and that I was being the bigger person and taking the higher road when in reality, it was a cancer that was like eating me from the inside because I hadn't really forgiven these people because I felt like if I forgave them, then it gave them a free pass. And I felt like by extending this quote unquote fake forgiveness that I was already giving them enough of a free pass. I was just going to hold on to it on the inside and let it still be very aware of how wrong it was by myself, to myself. And each chapter actually has a a quote that I love because I'm such a quote nerd. And the, the one at the beginning of the chapter about faking forgiveness says, when we forgive, we set a prisoner free and then discover the prisoner was us. And when I wrote this chapter, my editors actually came back and wanted me to position it a little bit more as, okay, yes, this person hurt you, but also how can you take responsibility? And I pushed back against that and said, no, that's not the chapter I want to write because I think sometimes or, or often situations of hurt get approached that way. And that is why we are faking forgiveness is because we're having to be hurt by someone that we loved, that we trusted, that proclaims Jesus. And we're having to, we're being told to, to identify the ways that we contributed when sometimes you didn't contribute to the way that people hurt you. Like sometimes that old cliche of hurt people hurt people is just the truth. And thankfully they were, you know, the, the editors were receptive to that. And I was able to write the chapter that I wanted to write. But I think that chapter is towards the end of the book because we talk a lot about hurt and healing through the book. Because I spent so much of my life, even the last two years as this book was in process, hurt. I spent it hurt not knowing how to heal because I think sometimes these conversations are lacking. I think we want to slap a Band-Aid of just pray about it on them. And prayer is the most powerful tool in our arsenal as believers. And we have unfettered access to the creator of the universe. And that's incredible. And that should always leave us in awe. But (laughs) sometimes we as humans need more than that. Sometimes we need prayer and therapy. Honestly, sometimes I think we need prayer and someone in our life to say, hey, that was wrong that that happened. 
that shouldn't have happened and I'm sorry. And the power of that statement, oh my gosh, I've had that happen in my life. And honestly, like someone else recognizing it helped me move on, honestly. Another thing we talk about a ton is being a Christian woman and how that's a really interesting tension within the church and how there is a mold that I think in the, I would say the last five-ish years, we're seeing that mold break a little bit and we're seeing the expectation to fit in it wane. But there are certainly still people within the church and within church culture who don't really know what to do with (laughs) opinionated natural leader type women. And one of my favorite chapters in the book is actually a deep dive into the Proverbs 31 woman. And I'm really honest at the top of the chapter about how for a lot of my adolescence and early 20s, I really didn't like her very much because I felt like she had been weaponized against women like me who were a little bit more loud and mouthy to try to get us to sit down and be quiet. And I got to a point in my late 20s that I was kind of sick of it and also really wrestling with God. Why would something that could be used against women who are your children be in the Bible? What I realized, and another thing that's really common throughout the book, a common thread, is I was letting other people tell me who she was which is dangerous. There's a whole chapter in the book about if you don't know the Bible for yourself, then other people are going to get to tell you who God is and what he says about you. And so I did this, I mean, months long deep dive on Proverbs 31 and pages upon pages. I still have the notebook. I think I almost filled an entire notebook and I just would take sometimes a sentence at a time. I would take just a couple of words at a time and really dug into who she was. And y'all, she was awesome. (laughs) She was so awesome. And she was such a bad A. And she was an entrepreneur and she was a leader. And her husband trusted her because she was effective and responsible. And her husband was revered in the city council because, in part, because of who she was. And she owned land and she owned businesses and she also trusted God. And I remember reading that and learning that, just being really emotional about it and being emotional when I wrote. The chapter in the book because I am the mother of two daughters and they're going to change the world. They're incredible. I'm obsessed with who both of them are, are becoming. And I think about raising them under that mantle of the Proverbs 31 woman and how powerful and yes, submissive, but submissive because she was married to a man worth being submissive to. And that just makes me really excited. And I just think about generations of women who, who have been raised under a different definition of her and a different definition of what being a woman in the church and what our worth is. And I don't mean that. I know that some more progressive voices get real up in knots about how women are treated or talked about or thought about within the church. And that's not my intention at all. It's this is not I'm a blanket that I am throwing. And I'm also not venturing into the world of men and women are equal in function. I think men and women are equal in value. 
um, but we serve very different roles in God's design. But I also don't think that the role that the church, capital C Church, has tried to create for women, I just don't think it's what God intended a lot of the time. I mean, I, I was just studying the other day about how significant it is that the first people who Jesus appeared to after he died and resurrected were women. Like the first people, if, if the whole point of the Christian life is to make heaven full and experience the fullness of his love, it's going and telling people about Jesus and that he is risen. And the first people that he gave that command to were women. That's amazing. Why don't we talk about that more? So those are the kinds of things that are, that are in the pages of this book. It's my own journey of deconstructing and reconstructing a lot of things that I had been taught to believe and finding truth. And that's not to say that I have the corner market on the truth at all, but I just, this book is my heart and my life and my story. And the dedication of it is probably one of my favorite parts. It says, to every person, who has ever been told they are too much or not enough by the people who should have protected and encouraged them, to the women bound up by something that should have set them free, to the wild, brave, and free ones, this book is for you. And it's for the people who feel like they don't fit and the people who ha have walked away because they were made to feel like they didn't fit uh, a mold or a standard the best news is that that standard and that mold are man-made. God doesn't care how you show up. He doesn't care what you've done. He doesn't care where you've been. He just wants you to come to himself. And that's what I hope the takeaway is, is it doesn't matter. Just come. And also don't plan to stay that way. Don't plan to stay broken. Don't plan to get to hold on to your your pet sins but just come and taste and see that he is good and that's what I hope the book does for everyone that reads it if you have been trying to grow in the online space or in your small business but you are tired of nothing working and feeling burnt out in the process I want to tell you about my course run your race Run Your Race is a guide to showing up on social media and expanding your reach without falling into the hustle trap. Inside of it, I teach you everything I know about time management, productivity, how to present yourself with things like branding and newsletters and content. We talk about fighting the lies that hold you back and all the things that I've learned about monetizing your online presence. Run Your Race only opens for enrollment a few times a year, so head to crappychristianco.com slash runyourrace to find out when it will open next and to get on the wait list. Okay, so you guys know I'm all about talking about the things that make us uncomfortable. So let's talk about female hair loss. Millions of Americans experience thinning hair. It's more than common, it's normal, but it's not openly talked about, especially amongst women. And going through this can feel so lonely and frustrating. So it's time to change the conversation and join the thousands of women who are standing up for their hair with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement. 
and it supports healthy hair growth with three unique formulas for women in all stages of life, including postpartum and menopause. Each formula uses natural, drug-free, medical-grade ingredients for the most reliable results. And if you're more of the statistics type, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months, and 3,000-plus top doctors and stylists recommend Nutrafol. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support my show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code BLAKE to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Get free shipping on every order and $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code BLAKE. I asked my Instagram followers if they had any questions about the book specifically. So I'm going to answer a couple of those just here at the end. A couple of people asked if there are discussion questions. And there are at the back of the book. There are two discussion questions for each chapter. And they're meaty questions. And some of them have like more than one question in a question. But the hope is that those kind of give you some I don't know, some guidance to either have conversation if you're going to read it in a book club or in a Bible study, or if you're just going to have conversation with a friend, those are there. Another person asked about purity culture specifically and what that entails within the book, which would definitely fall under the covering of just being a woman in Christian culture. There's a whole chapter on purity culture and how I grew up in it and kind of always bucked against it. I tell a story about being at church camp and having to wear a one-piece swimsuit, basketball shorts, and a big t-shirt to swim in the lake. And at some point realizing that none of the boys were wearing shirts and just being like, wait, this doesn't seem right. And just what the results of, of purity culture have been for an entire generation of women, you know, that we are, we kind of don't know what to do with our own bodies. And we think sex and sexuality in its entirety are bad. And kind of trying to flip that narrative on its head and talking about how sex was God's idea and it is good and not just for procreation. (laughs) That's another one of my, one of my favorite chapters. Another question was what inspired me to write it? It's funny. One of my childhood best friends texted me at the beginning of October just saying, oh my gosh, like book month is here. And and she was saying, I can't believe your book is going to be out. You've wanted this since you were a child because we've been friends since we were in kindergarten. And yeah, I've always, I've always felt like there was a book in there, you know, and I've played with pr- like writing outlines or writing proposals probably, gosh, for the last 10 years or so. It's not something that materialized out of thin air. I have started book proposals or book outlines and scrapped them or Frankensteined them together, which is kind of what this book ended up being was just like a Frankenstein of a bunch of different ideas that I had had. And but I was also very lucky. I always like want to be upfront. I was very blessed that my publishing house, which is Tyndale, they found me. They reached out to me and asked if I would be interested in writing a book two years ago. And 
I had a the bones of a proposal. Like writing a proposal is so hard. Just if you ever want to publish a book, you typically have to write a proposal. It's hard. I would almost say it's harder than writing the actual book, if not its equivalent. So I had kind of like pieces of a proposal that I was able to, because they came to me, I was able to give to them. And I was really blessed to have them very much come alongside me in the process and put this book together and take some of the ideas that I've maybe been ruminating on for 10 years and also add new concepts. But I would say, I mean, to go back to the original question, what inspired me to write it was kind of similar to what inspired me to create the podcast, which was just creating what I needed. I need this book. Like now, I needed this book eight years ago. I need it today. You know, and so I just, I hope it meets people where they are. Another question was, what was the most difficult part of writing it? I didn't love telling some really personal stories. I'm thankful they're in the book now because I think they're going to help you get to know me better. And when you know someone more fully, I think it helps you learn from them and their experiences. There were a lot of times that my editors had to come back and say, okay, like, let's tell a story here. The, mm, this is a lot of like really good like teaching, but let's personalize it with a story. And I'd always be like, mm, fine. <laughs> you know, and I also, I'll be totally honest. I also had a fear of the feedback for the book being like, oh, is this a memoir? Like, what the heck? And that, that feedback is honestly probably inevitable no matter what kind of book you write. But I really wanted to try to strike the balance between it being deeply personal and telling stories, but also the reader being able to see themselves in it. But chapter nine was definitely the hardest chapter to write. It is why does it take so long to heal? And in it, I tell the story of when my eldest, Pacey Claire, almost died <laughs> and the immense amounts of trauma that that put into my life and how it, it set a lot of pre-existing trauma and maybe anxious proclivities just into complete overdrive and then how I would beat myself up because I wasn't as healed as I felt like I should be because she had lived. And it was a really hard chapter to write. It was even harder to read for the audiobook. I think you can hear the emotion in my voice as I read it. I had to stop and restart and take breaks as I read, reread that story. And I remember when I finished writing that chapter, when I finished writing chapter nine and submitted it to my editors, I cried like a baby out of relief, I think, more than anything that it was, I was thankful that it was done. And, you know, I knew I'd have to edit it and, and deal with it more. But just, you know, it is absolutely one of the most traumatic things that's ever happened to me. And there's something about reliving that kind of trauma and also trying to teach from it that's just, it's just exhausting. But it is also, it's the, one of the hardest chapters for me to read, but also one of my favorites because it's such a picture of God's goodness and kindness and closeness and how he doesn't leave us when things get hard. And then the last question that I'm going to answer is, will there possibly be more books in the future? I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I'm not under contract to write another book. I'm not going to lie. I have moments where I'm like, ah, I put, there's that, everything's in here. I don't know what else I would write about. Like, the, like everything that I love and am passionate about is in this book. I don't know. 
is there another book in there? And then I say that to friends or my husband and he's like, yes, there's another book in there. You're crazy. So I give me a minute, I think is my answer. I think I need to get a little bit removed from the book writing and marketing and launching process and recoup a little bit. This is so much more exhausting than I ever knew it was. I have such a new respect for people who write books and pump them out. I guess maybe you get used to it, but I think probably, probably just let me, let me, let me catch my breath a little bit. And then I think maybe, maybe there's another one in there and I'll write another book. But thanks for listening. If you made it this far, I, I hope that you order the book. I hope that you order it like right now. If you haven't already, if you didn't pre-order it and it didn't, you know, land on your doorstep yesterday, I hope that listening to me talk about it has, I don't know, made it more real, maybe more attractive. It's maybe helped you see that there is something in it for you. It's not just my stories. There's the stories that I do tell are there for the sense of solidarity so that you can hopefully see yourself in it. You can get it anywhere that you get your books. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, local bookshops have it. Lots of libraries should have it now. You can get the physical version. You can get it on your Kindle. The audiobook is available on Audible. Um, if you want to listen to me read it, I read my own audiobook, which was an experience. But yeah, I'm just, I'm thankful. I'm humbled. I'm excited. I can't believe it's out there when this comes out. And yeah, I love you guys. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right, see you next week. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.